Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Remember, if you like this episode, think about who else you know who would like it and share it. It might even start the conversation that changes the course of your life. My guest today is Xander Sprague. He's the author of three books, including his newly published bestseller, Epic Begins with One Step Forward, How to Plan, Achieve, and Enjoy the Journey. Xander loves speaking to audiences around the world. He's nicknamed, this is real, the God of Enthusiasm because of his contagious energy and passion. He is a popular speaker, trainer, and a podcast host. He's here today to help you plan, achieve, and enjoy the journey. On this episode, we talk about a bunch of different things, including how one small step can make a huge difference, about the 97-3 rule for an instantly empowering perspective, and he's going to share two magic words that will dramatically boost your success. I'm not going to tell you them yet, not going to tell you them yet, but I think you'll like them, because they're really going to help when things don't seem to be going your way. This episode is worth sharing because Xander shares his story, which is a really good one, I think, and he talks a little bit about things that have happened in his own life that you can take as tangible ideas to motivate yourself and persevere when things look like they're getting kind of tough. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shareable. All right, Xander, welcome. What are we going to talk about today, man? We are going to talk about epic and how epic begins with one step forward and just how transformative that can be for all of us. I dig it, man. Talk more about Epic. What do you mean by Epic? Just so we clarify and, and set the context for everyone. Well, I think, I think there are big, there are Epic things that we want to do in our life. And I'm not here to tell someone what their Epic is, but mm-hmm. I can give some examples. I think um, we think about things in our life that we'd really like to do. Oh, I'd love to do that. It could be write a book, run a marathon, travel to a particular country, start your own business, whatever. Um, And we think about it, we may share it with friends and family, but oftentimes we just put all kinds of roadblocks in front of ourselves as to why we aren't going after it. Uh, My own, I've done some incredibly epic things in my life and it all began with my deciding to do it and just taking one step towards that. And discovering that that first step wasn't nearly as difficult as I thought. So I want to dig into the why behind this, right? So you help people to discover their epic uh, with one step forward. You said you've discovered it in your own life that it began with this one step forward. Yeah. Take it all the way back to the beginning. There's kind of two two elements here, which is that you teach people about this stuff, but inevitably there was a point in your life where you had something you had to overcome or something had to change, or you saw something in the world that you were dissatisfied with. There was a moment where you decided you wanted to take action and kind of teach people how to do this or to do it in yourself and then teach people. Take us back to that. Where did this all start? This, uh, if I look, if I look at it, there, there are a couple of things. First of all, um, growing up, uh, I grew up in outside of Boston 
in Massachusetts. Um, my dad was a state legislator. So I was in front of adults speaking from a very young age. And I actually discovered that I actually really, really love that. That really juices me. So there's sort of that part of, I want to, I want to talk to people. I want to be in front of people. I like that. Um, but more importantly, I think some of that discovery of Epic came when I was uh, at a camp. We, we went to uh, this quarry. I was 12 years old and um, I wanted to jump off the 60 foot cliff into the water. Now, that's scary. And my heart was really going. And I finally, like, I sort of, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, but I, I didn't go. And then finally, I'm like, I'm going. So I jumped off and it's amazing when we do these things that really scare us, th those, even though there's just split second it, it, in your mind, it seems like it's a very long time and there's this whole kind of a, a huge thought process that goes on, even though the whole thing was probably all of, you know, I was falling for all of about like three seconds or something, but I kind of had this idea, uh, which I really like, which is, uh, I'm fully committed to this. There's nothing I can do to, to turn around. You know, I can't stop this, right? Um, you know, gravity is really, uh, well, she's really like, once she's got you, she's got you. And there's it's nothing, happening. it's yeah. really, it, there's nothing that you can do. And so when I landed in the water, and I thought I was like, what if I go down too far? But I discovered all kinds of things about physics and speed and terminal velocity and all of that in that moment. Uh, the short of it is when you hit the water, you're going fast enough, there's a lot of air around you. And so you don't go as deep as you think that you're going to go. And it kind of pops you back up. In that moment, I had like, I was like, oh, oh my God, I love that feeling of adrenaline. So from there on out, I've done stuff in my life where I go after that adrenaline rush and I frankly scare the bejesus out of myself every once in a while, because it's really good. It's really epic. So that sounds like confronting your fear. And when you decided to write this book and you decided to get into this line of work and do speaking engagements and all the things that you do about this, is it, is it all about overcoming fear? Do you think that it's about more than that? Like, what are the, what are some of the things that you think are the obstacles? Cause you really presented a very tangible example of jumping off of a freaking cliff. But <laughs> so much of what you're talking about in the idea behind Epic beginning with one step, you mentioned examples like writing a book, like there's no fear of falling. There's no gravity there's no to deal with. So when you think about the, the obstacles that stand in our way, did it begin with you with just fear or did you notice all sorts of other ones and then be able to incorporate that into the work? I, I think there's other stuff. Um, you know, what I like to say I, Epic stands for, at least for me, is that every pilgrimage involves commitment. And I think that when we are on our Epic journey, it is really, you are on a pilgrimage to get to your destination. And so I think there's the things that, uh, look, I've been fortunate enough to, to run some half marathon, 10 half marathons, four fulls and a 50K ultra marathon. Okay, Yikes. that's 31.1 miles. Now that was, that was a while ago. I don't run nearly as, as much and I ride my road bike and I've done centuries and that's all great. I'm not here, I'm honestly not here to brag, but I, I 
grew up watching the Boston Marathon. And, you know, and in my young mind, I'm like, oh, I'd like to do that someday. But then when I was an adult and I wanted, you know, to exercise more and, and I started running and then I'm like, I, I really want to run. I, I'm going to see if I can run a half marathon. So I went and joined team in training, which is the fundraising arm of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I raised some money. They taught me how to run a half marathon and I went and I did it. And then I went and ran some more and I ran some fulls and you know, so there wasn't fear there, but there was certainly a huge challenge. Let me tell you, 26.2 miles is a really long way. Can I tell you that um, for the longest time, and by the longest time, I mean like not long ago did I dispel this notion, but I really didn't believe, it. I was almost like flat earth levels of denial that people actually run marathons. I thought it was a big joke that everyone was playing because the idea of running 26.2 miles to me at for most of my life seemed incomprehensibly impossible. Right. But, but over time, I started to run a little bit more and get into it myself. I never really understood it. And then I started to, and then I was like, oh, I, I guess this is possible for people who are, so you doing ultra marathons, that's just my Well, okay. And I want to be, I, I'm honestly all about transparency and owning. I covered that distance. I did not run every single step. There was some walking going on, depending on the temperature and how I was feeling. There may have been more walking. So I did a what they call a run-walk strategy. But I covered that distance. And it doesn't matter whether you're running or you're or crawling, you're, like whatever, whatever. finishing. Covered that distance. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get a bib for um, the 2014 Boston Marathon. I got that not because I could run fast enough, and there's a funny little side story here, but because uh, my younger sister was a massage therapist and worked for Adidas, and she said, hey, would you ever want to run the Boston Marathon? And I'm like, are you kidding? That's not like bucket list. That's like holy grail moment. Anyone who's a marathoner, if you could run Boston, you're like, heck yeah. So I got to run in 2014, which was incredibly moving. Obviously, 2013, there was the bombing. And so there was a, that was an unbelievable experience. Now, I grew up, as I said, outside of Boston. One of the bad things was from mile seven until 26.2, I knew every step. And I had all kinds of nightmares that I, I had taken the wrong turn and added nine miles to, to, to my race. I'm trying to get through the crowd to get back on the course. I mean, I'm telling you. It, it, knowing the course does not help you at all. In fact, it's, it's terrible. But anyway, that was my running a marathon was indeed a pilgrimage. There were lots of mornings at five in the morning in the cold and rain where I'm running. And I'm like, why am I doing this? But I can assure you that when I saw that finish line and I crossed it, it was worth everything. The blisters, so, the lost toenails, everything. <laughs> so wait, say, so epic again is every pilgrimage includes challenges? Uh, commitment. Commitment, commitment. I was, commitment. I was trying to write it down, but I was like, I was, I was in it with you. And then, because uh, I, I, I really like that. I, first of all, I love acronyms. So go for yeah. it, man. Frameworks and acronyms. Um, so this, so far what I'm gathering though is a story of um, your own perseverance. But what I do know about, people, all people, is that none of us are an island. 
Um, so I'm actually curious because you did mention that you, um, was the leukemia society. You said you kind of like yeah. learned, learned yep. how to do the, the marathon thing. Um, how, who do you kind of, when you think back about this journey of getting to a point where you can write a book about Epic and you can look back at your different experiences, who do you think back as a critical kind of, um, a, a critical uh, sidekick or, or guide or like central character to your okay. story. Like, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So, you know, um, Epic Begins with One Step Forward is, is actually the third book I've written. It's the second book to come out. I have a book that's coming out later in the year. I'm, I'm you know, I'll, I'll talk about that later, but um, here's the thing. I, 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 uh, I hate writing. I'm a talker. I'm a talker, not a typer. So, um, and you have three books now you've written. I do. Yeah. It's I I'm telling you, if you told me mind over matter, I I get no, what it is, is understanding that there is not just one, one route to get to your destination and leaning in, leaning into your strength. So the first book I wrote, um, many years ago was called uh, Making Lemonade, Choosing a Positive Pathway After Losing Your Sibling, which was about me losing my, uh, my sister and about that sibling survivor experience. And I got five of my friends who had lost siblings to share. And, you know, it's really, it was a great book. I wrote that book by dictating because I just, I hate writing, but I love talking. So I dictated the book, had it transcribed. Then I had something that I could work with and, and, um, you know, molded into a book. So for Epic, what happened is, and that a mentor of mine, Aurora Winter. Um, oh, snap. You know, Aurora? She's been I on do. the podcast. Yeah, no, she's, I've, I've known Aurora for, for, for 10 years. And so Aurora Small came world. up. Yeah. Aurora came up with uh, the spoken author program. And she, she will, she says it in the forward. So I'm, I'm, again, it sounds, I'm not trying to, she made it for me. She was thinking of me because she is like, you have to, like, you have to be out there. You're just, you're, you're, she calls me the God of enthusiasm. Cause I just put a mic in my hand. I'm so excited. Put me on camera on a podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so she created this thing called the spoken author program and I was the first person that she did she did it because she was thinking of me and she's like how can I help Xander and so what we did is we sat down and we did a series of zoom calls that then turned into a transcript that then got molded into a book and all I had to do was just like I'm here with you sit and talk and we, and, you know, we had different subjects that, you know, that were the chapters that we wanted to talk about. But through that, all these nuggets came out, these stories came out. And, and, and so she was really uh, absolutely 100% the reason that I'm able to get Epic Begins with One Step Forward out there. It's because she's like, you speak and you speak well. Let's go. Cap how can we capture that? And it's this whole new idea of you don't have to sit down and write it. If you like to talk, talk. There's all kinds of programs out there that will transcribe it for you. And then you've got some clay to work with so you can mold it into, into whatever you want. How did the idea of 
um, this book even come to you? Like, because we, we traced you back to the stepping off the cliff moment, right? We did. And, and how that, you know, influences the story of where we are today. But it's some, you know, you had um, the, the previous book about, you know, losing your sibling. Yeah. And at some point, something came to you that said, this is the book I need to write next. Can you okay. take us back to how that worked? Absolutely. So um, I went to, you know, I was, I was speaking about sibling loss and stuff, but I said, I, I want to get to a more general audience. Um, still very dedicated to, to my sibling survivors and raising awareness, but it's really, it's really hard to get paid to talk about death. Yeah. It really is, you know? Um, and um, so I said, I, I'm such a positive person. I want a more general motivational thing. Um, so I had gone to graduate school, got my master's in mental health counseling, um, had to complete 3,000 hours of internship to be to take my licensing exam to be a licensed professional clinical counselor. I finished my hours in February of 2020. I've been telling people for, for six years that when I get my license, I'm going out, I'm speaking, this is going to be great. Um, that was February of 2020. I think we all know what happened in March. Mm. I couldn't leave my apartment. We were in a pandemic. So all of a sudden, all these big plans I had, I couldn't do any of it. I couldn't take the license exam. I couldn't go out and speak at conferences because there were no conferences because they were all canceled. And okay, what am I going to do? And as I sat in my apartment, I kind of had this epiphany that all these great things in my life happened. All these epic things happened because I took one step forward. I started with that one step. And I think oftentimes when we think about whatever our epic is, um, it, it is big and it seems impossible. But one of the things that I learned through my marathon running was that I love structure. I can operate really well with structure. So they handed me a training schedule and it said, go out and run 30 minutes today. All right, I can do that. I didn't have to worry about how am I ever going to run 26.2 miles. I simply had to worry about what I had to do today. And that's part of what I teach people is, you know, your, your epic dream is huge and big and very important to you. You are on that pilgrimage, but you got to do it one step at a time. You, you, you can't worry about, you know, whatever, when I'm on my, you know, when I was running my marathons, I had to concentrate on what was going on right in front of me, not what was going to happen five miles from now. Cause I didn't know. So this is interesting for me because the way that I tend to look at things personally is that I like to look at the big goal at the end. And um, once I'm started, I'm usually good at like kind of keeping going. But what I do have a problem with is like regular kind of checkpoints and doing things that require, I, I blitz things, right? So I just wrote, I just released my book in January. And the first day I sat down to write my book. Thank you. Uh, I wrote 18,000 words the first weekend that I was writing my book. Yeah. So like, I'm a- Did you have a fever? Were you sick? I mean, that's just, no, that's not that's right. Just, that's just ADHD that's just hyperfocus, right. man. That's, that's just, just ADHD right. hyperfocus. I just jumped right in, right? But if somebody told me that I had to, and this, I think this is what made me think of is your marathon example. Somebody told me I had to run 30 minutes every day. I wouldn't do it. But if you told me go out and run 10 miles this weekend and then run 10 miles next weekend, I think I could do that, but I would have a harder time running two miles a day for five days straight. See what I'm saying? So like, I guess when I'm hearing your story, the first thing that occurs to me is, okay, I get that keeping the foot, like the first step forward. 
How do you keep taking the next steps forward? How do you keep yourself going on these paths towards long, arduous journey, on towards, towards an epic journey? Absolutely. So w- what happens is along the way, you absolutely have to have your milestones. The things that along the way, you're like, when I get here, I get this. Give yourself a reward. Um, if you're um, training for a marathon, you say, all right, when I'm able to, when I've run my 10 miles, I can go have an in and out double double or something like that, right? Like some some kind of reward. Um, and, and I think that's what make first of all, it makes it manageable because although you still have your eye on the prize, it's so big, it seems daunting. And, and we all get stuck because we're just like, oh my God, I've got to do this, this, and this, and they all have to happen at once. But I have yet to meet the person who could write a book with their left hand and be doing social media posts with the right hand. You can't. As much as we'd love to say that we're all multitasking, uh, my joke, it, it's, it's a totally techie joke because I used to work in technology, is that I'm a single core mind living in a multi-core world. Um, That's a total geek joke right there. It is a total geek joke, um, yeah. but, it, 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 but it's true. Um, I can only do one thing really well. And, but when I create structure, I find that it is so much better. And I think people in general actually really like structure. It makes us feel comfortable, right? We don't get all stressed. We get stressed out when we don't have structure and everything's just sort of mishmash. As an entrepreneur, um, you sit down and go, oh my gosh, I've got to write some emails. I've got to do a podcast. I've got to write my book. I've got to, I've got to do this, this, and that. But if you have a, if you've sat down and said, all right, um, I want to spend uh, 45 minutes, you know, writing for my book. And then I want to take a half hour and answer emails. And then I'm, uh, I've got uh, a podcast that's going to be an hour. And then, and you kind of structure your day it all seems to get done fairly, you know, fairly succinctly. And there's not a lot of stress because you know where you're going and what you're doing. I like to use the analogy of going to the supermarket. You get in your car, but you aren't really stressed about getting to the supermarket. Why? Because you have structure, you know where to go. Imagine you get in your car and you start to bank some lefts and rights randomly, go straight, whatever. Maybe you'll get to the supermarket, but maybe you won't. But all along the way, you're kind of stressed because you're like, I I really need to get to the supermarket. Gosh, I only have 15 more minutes. Where's the supermarket? But you haven't haven't created that structure. And I think as adults, we, we sort of, we grew up with lots and lots of structure at school. You knew what, you know, what period you had, what class and stuff. You weren't really stressed about where you had to be and how to get there. After the first week of, of school in a new school year, you kind of knew where to go and you just didn't have a lot of like noticeable stress about getting to the classroom. Why shouldn't we do that in, 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 in our work life, in our daily and personal life to just say, I, I, structure's good. It makes me feel comfortable, right? Um, yeah, there are those very few people who, who are like, the more chaos, the better. But I really, you know, my my training and and experience tells me 
when we create some structure, it actually, we, we can lean into it. It makes us feel better and we're a lot more uh, productive. So I like what I'm appreciating about your story. I think it's extremely relatable and I want to kind of bring us to the point of recognition. So let's recap real quickly. So the idea behind this concept of Epic you really, it, it was birthed at the place where you stepped off of a cliff, a single step in plunged into the water. And that was the birth of a moment for you, a way of thinking about the world, right? Fast forward through, you're going through life. Other things have happened. You've got this idea percolating in the background, you start to run marathons. You start to do all of these different things. And you realize that in each of these cases, one step is really all it took, right? Yeah. Then you have the influence of someone who believes in you, actually helps to build a platform so that you can shine in, uh, in our mutual friend Aurora Winter. And you've now got the opportunity to try to figure out what is the message you want to bring to the world. And under the pressure of a pandemic and different things, you realize that really what it's all about is sharing this message of one step forward. So that brings us up to like this point where a lot of people get to, which is I've had an idea, I have an opportunity, and then a lot of people stop. They stop moving forward with it or even worse. And this is something that I think is, it plagues entrepreneurs as much as anyone else. You release the thing, but you don't sense the accomplishment. You don't feel what it was to do this thing. And I'm curious in your experience of going through this journey of releasing Epic, conceiving it, all the things that came up to it, releasing it to the world, sharing it with people, talking about it on stages, coming onto podcasts. At what point did you realize that you were onto something that you had succeeded in bringing a message to people and it was clicking that it was uh, in line with what your purpose was and what your epic journey was. When did that occur to you and how did you know? Two words. And it's in the, I mean, it's in the book. And I think they're two really, really powerful words um, that we all need to remember, especially when we're on our epic journey. Not yet. Have I released my book? Not yet. Doesn't mean I'm not releasing the book. It just means it didn't happen. It's not happening imminently because I'm still editing. I'm still doing whatever. And I think we forget about not yet. That, you know, are you done with your book? No. Bam. Sounds like it's never, ever going to happen. But not yet opens up so many possibilities for us. And it's so optimistic. And I think... Um, what I found is that not yet is really resonating with lots and lots of people. And so I think that as a speaker, as an author, when, when you get feedback that people are like, I really like that, not yet. I really like that, that, that makes me feel good because it, it gives you a bit of a, a some breathing room, right? Um, how did I know Epic was, was, you know, like, where was that, where, where was that adrenaline rush? Um, yes, when did you feel accomplished for having brought this into the world? Like, was there, when a I became an Amazon best-selling author? Nice. So, I mean, I never, I honestly, I dreamed about it, but I was like, how am I going to be? And I was a, you know, number one new release in, in, in the ebook. I've been internationally in different countries, you know, since February. The book has been number one. I've won some book awards. I mean, these are things that I never, ever would have imagined for myself because I don't see myself as 
uh, I'm seeing myself more as an author and a writer and stuff. But I tell you, when my first book came out, and, and this is a sad story, I had the book done and I sat on it for five years because I was just afraid to put it out. And I got tired of hearing myself say, oh, I'm coming out with a book, right? And I didn't want to be one of those people for 30 years saying I was coming out with a book when I was no more coming out with a book than Fly to the Moon. So I just said, forget it, I'm putting it out there. And I put it out there and I was absolutely terrified. I knew nothing of book marketing or anything, but I put the book out there and people, I started to hear from people saying that they liked the book, that it was helpful. And, and I honestly, for the first year, would have believed more if they told me it wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. I had a hard time with people telling me that they liked my book. I'm like, really? Yeah. No, I, so that resonates with me hard because whenever <laughs> I hear from some, especially when it's someone that like, I either meet through someone else or like, like when it's like your friends and they read it and they're like, I really like it. You're like, great. You're like, you're supposed to say that. Yeah. But yeah. Like, when yeah. You get exactly. a stranger that's like, yo, I love your book. I'm like, is this like a joke? Am I on candid camera? Is, am I being punked right now? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. it is a really weird feeling. So that, that resonates hard with me. Yeah. And, and so you know, and, you know, I got uh, emails from people around the world saying, you know, that, that the book was really helpful. And, and so, and so, um, you know, with, with Epic, it's always interesting, you, you put so much of yourself into the book, and I, I absolutely have a lot wrapped up in that there's a lot of there's all of me is in this book. But it's always interesting to find out the things that you think people are really going to resonate, you know, like resonate are not always the things. And so I, I try and remain uh, open to the fact that that someone else's experience of, of, of Epic is it's theirs and I want to embrace it and help them you know, uh, really go after it. And so I, I think, yeah, it's just interesting to find out where the stickiness with, with what you've written. Um, you know, I, I, I've done, you know, counseling, you know, you know, psychological counseling and stuff for people. And there's times where I've, I've thought really hard and I thought, all right, I'm, I'm thinking and, and I think I'm going to bring some to that aha moment and, and I'm kind of building up with them and, and we're taking the steps and all of a sudden they, they had the aha moment about two steps before I thought I was getting to the big aha moment and they jump off and they're like, oh my God, that was incredible. And, and then I'm sort of like, but there's, but no, there's, but I, I have more that wasn't, no, that's not what, that wasn't the finish line. But that's, it's not up to me to decide where someone else is, you know, you know, like, oh, here's your aha moment. And so, um, you know, uh, you know, there's stuff in the book that, that I really like because it is my own life. It's, it's how I'm doing it. Uh, one of the things that people seem to have liked, and, and I really like it, it's kind of how I, it's, I call it the 97-3 rule, Right. 97% of my day is actually really good and up to 3% isn't so good. So sh certainly there are the days where that that's 3% bigger. There's some bad stuff that happens, but you know, on average, 97% of my day is, is really good. So why am I focused on the 3% that isn't good? I don't know. 
uh, when I was working uh, in my internship hours, I was in a high school and a middle school, and I was, you know, a lot of my clients, uh, academics was a challenge. So we talk about it and I'd say, well, what's your least favorite subject? A lot of them said math. I could totally resonate with that. And I said, what would you do if you got a 97 on your next test? Oh my gosh, I'd be so excited. I'd be like, I'd be telling everyone, my parents would be so proud. It'd be great. I, I'd love it. I'm like, would you be complaining about the three points you didn't get? Are you kidding? I got a 97. That's, I'd never get 97. That'd be incredible. So why are you complaining about the 3% of your day that didn't go well? And you're ignoring the 97 that's actually going really, really well. I don't get it. Now, I like baseball. I'm not a huge fan, but I certainly, as a Red Sox fan, there's a lot of epic lessons in that of loss, failure, dejection, Bill Buckner, Bucky Dent. Never mind. I, I'm not going to go into all of that. It's all really painful. But, but here's my point. And baseball, you make it into the Hall of Fame if you have a lifetime batting average over 300, right? That's a Hall of Fame. And I'm not taking anything away what it takes to play Major League Baseball or any professional baseball at that level and how hard it is and all of that. But imagine if we only, to, for us to be Hall of Fame, we only had to get it right one third of the time in our own life to have a hall of fame life. It's a wild reframing. <laughs> it really is. It's a, it's a super wild reframing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, how's I'm that here? sitting with, with you though? I mean, like yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wild way of um, thinking about it. And, and so much of what I'm hearing in the way you're talking about this is like how this way of thinking has, shape the way that you see your day to day even. Um, and something that I think about a lot, you know, you had mentioned people giving you feedback on the book and stuff like that. I often think about the fact that people will read the book or read a book, right. And they get yeah. something out of it. But as the author, the act of writing the book and sharing the book does something to you. It transforms you in a certain way. And I'm curious as a, as a first time author, not a three time author, what your experience of that has been. How do you feel that um, putting a book like this out into the world, you know, we've talked about the whole, the journey of getting to releasing a book like this and what it means to you and what you hope it means to others, but what yep. has it meant to you? Like, how has it shifted the way that, you know, you approach your work, that you think about what comes next, the way you think about your own application of the concepts in the book? Um. Well, you know, it, it, I mean, the one thing I will say is that it is really hard because you have, I have a lot of, of ego wrapped up in this, not oh, in the, not, 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 not in a, the negative way, but just, you have just put some or all of your Blood, sweat, and tears, and heart and soul. Yeah, like like yeah. Your, your 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 ideas, and you put it out there, and people people can just you you're way out on the limb, and people can just come along and just cut you right off. And I think if you're um if if you just 
are you, you you say not everyone is going to you know this some people are going to love this book some people are going to like this book and some people are not going to like this book and um you know we hear all the time as um, people putting ourselves out there on podcasts whatever there are the trolls the people who are just trying to get a rise and they're going to say negative things and um i try really hard to say fine i'm not i am not everyone's cup of tea i get it right um there's there are people who are a lot more uh, i'm real kind of like sunshine unicorns everything's possible um and there are the people who are like no the reality is you know the world is it's a terrible place and you know, whatever. And I, and look, I grew up in New England. There is this underlying current in New England of pure, this puritanical belief that we have to suffer in order to make it to heaven. Now, I'm not a particularly religious person, but it's sort of, it's just part of- It's, it's cultural. Like it's part of the background radiation where you grew up. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it's kind of like being a Red Sox fan. When we got one strike away from winning it in 1986 and we blew it, I think there was this collective kind of, well, that's kind of the, we don't quite get what we want mm. in 2004, when the Red Sox finally won the world series, I was sitting there and my then wife says, I thought you'd be more excited. I didn't know what to do with this. It's something I would run my whole entire life. And it, the, the horrible thought in my mind was something cataclysmic has to happen to offset this good. I don't it, deserve it's funny this to listen good. to somebody from Boston talk about this as I'm sitting here in Philadelphia. Like, I feel like if we were to go like toe to toe on this, like Philly has you beat on the, the cynical, it will never work out for us thing in sports, but I don't know. I could be wrong with that. Well, um, I mean, do, sure. Do you, let me ask you this though. Do you, do you think that the process of going through this book is what gave you the, the, the thicker skin to this? Do you think that, you know, um, putting Epic out into the world and getting that mixed feedback at times? Um, or do you think that there, that you just were ready for that because you grew up in Boston? Um, I, I think I was ready for it, but I mean, um, part of it is it, it's, it's, I've been a professional speaker for over 20 years. So I, I, I get that some people are going to like it. Some people aren't. And it does hurt. I mean, when someone says something bad about something you've created, it does hurt. But I think um, if I sit there and, and again, jump back that 97.3 rule, if I speak to 100 people and 97 people come up and tell me that they really liked it, why am I going to pay attention to the three people who it didn't resonate with? Yeah. Right? right? I mean... I dig that. Well, I want to, I want to, uh, shift to having you talk a little bit about maybe one of the like very tangible takeaways in the book. Um, because, or, and maybe it doesn't have to necessarily be about the book, but we're talking about Epic. We're talking about the one step forward. We Conceptually, are. it sounds simple, right? You want to do something big, take the first step. But if that were the case, you wouldn't have a book. You would just have a really fancy book cover. So I was hoping, you know, since everyone has something that they can teach, I want you to teach something for the audience today, something tangible, something practical, something immediately useful that okay. people can put into practice. So it, it, it goes back to think about whatever your epic is 
and make a plan to, to, to try and achieve it. Sit there and say, I really want to write a book. Go, okay, so what's my idea? And how, how can I write that, right? Because if I think if we, you talked about having a big, you, you, you think of kind of like, here's where I want to get to, and I want to write a book. And, and that's where you need to do is you need to actually start at the end and work your way backwards to where you are. Um, that's what happens in a marathon plan. When's your marathon? Now we can make a now we can make a training plan to where you are right now to get to get you there. Um, when uh, architects build, you know, these enormous buildings, they start off with what's on the top of the building and then design the rest of the building to support that spire, that whatever, right? They don't start down, you know, with, with you, you have no idea what the foundation has to be because you don't know what the foundation has to hold. So I think that tangible thing is think about what your epic is. Ask yourself, what's keeping me from doing it, right? I think oftentimes we put roadblocks in front of ourselves that don't, they're actually a mirage or roadblocks are a mirage. They don't actually exist. We just put them in front of ourselves and give us, put excuses of why we can't do it. But if you stop and say, is that really a roadblock? No, no, it's not. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. In July of 1999, I had a bad week. In a seven day period, my car got totaled. I got fired from my job and my then fiance broke up with me. Now, in anyone's book, that's a bad week. That is a bad week. I, I was smiling because it was so specific that you were like, back then I had one bad week. And it's like, since then, 97.3. No, so no, 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 no. I, but, I appreciate but, it. But that's why I was smiling. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Not because you said you had a bad week, by the way. No, no, no. I know. But, but I had, I went to college in Southern California. I lived in San Francisco for a couple of years. And then I moved back to Boston for six years. But I always knew that truly my heart was in San Francisco. All of my close friends from college and my best friend from growing up lived in San Francisco. Every time I came to visit, I'm like, oh my God, I miss this place so much. And I really hate the weather in New England. So, but I had all these reasons of why I couldn't move back to San Francisco. I don't want to drive across the country. Well, my car got totaled. So that got taken out of the way. Oh, well, I've got a good job. Well, no, actually, I don't have a job anymore. So that's been taken out of the way. Uh, I was in a relationship that although I was engaged, kind of knew it wasn't really going to work out. But hey, I've got this. What am I going to do? That was taken out of the way. All of my excuses, all my mirages were taken out of the way. None of those were prevent preventing me from moving to San Francisco. I put them in front of myself. When life came and took them away, I moved back to San Francisco six years and three hours to the day that I left. Oh yeah, by the way, I was a history major, so I have a freakish memory for dates and times, but you know, that's just a sidebar. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was back in San Francisco. And I was kind of like, yeah, this is the place to be. Eight days later, I set myself up on a blind date, ended up marrying that woman and was married to her for 18 years. Nice. I, I, I'm divorced now, but again, that's, that's, you know, but it was all good. Yeah. And, and, and all of that, because I just don't want to be one of those people who, who thinks about their Epic. I want to actually go out and do it. Now it's not like every time an Epic, 
idea, an epic journey pops into my head that I go and do it. No, it takes planning. I was on a seven-year journey through graduate school and internship to get my license. And when I was 26.1 miles away, an app, a, a global pandemic showed up and kind of delayed everything. You had to walk the rest of the way to the finish line. I did. All right, well, and, and I couldn't actually cross that finish line for quite a few months because no matter how ready I was to finish, I couldn't. But at least you had the plan. You knew where the milestones were. Exactly. Well, we're getting towards the end of our time together. So we got to start to wrap up. There are uh, a few things that I want to uh, to kind of finish off with. So the first is I want you to kind of summarize for people the clear takeaways you want them to take from this episode. So of the stories that you've told about yourself, of the uh, milestones that you've hit in your life, the lessons that you've shared, the things that you've shared from your book, the things you've learned, everything. What would you say are like one or two things that you would want people who've listened to this episode to walk away with as like, this is what I want you to take away. Even okay. if even if it wasn't, you know, you don't feel like it was clear along the way, say exactly what it would be here. All right. Well, there are two things that they actually, I, I already said, first of all, 97.3 rule. Not, okay. 97% of your day is really good. Focus on the good part. Acknowledge the bad parts, but really realize that there's so much more good than there is bad going on. And the second thing is not yet should be your passenger because not yet helps you when it gets really tough. Because, you know, stuff doesn't always go. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. There are detours. There are things that don't go the way you want. Stuff takes longer than you thought. You stuff happens, right? But just say, not yet. Have you done this? Not yet. Um, I've got, I I have a long list of not yet. I may never get to some of them, but I remain optimistic that all of them are possible. The yet keeps the door open, man. It does. Well, take a moment uh, to tell people where they can connect with you, where they can get in touch with you, where they can find you leading the way. Absolutely. Well, if you if you Google Xander Sprague, that's Xander with a Z, Z-A-N-D-E-R-S-P-R-A-G-U-E, uh, Xandersprague.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram uh, for uh, Epic underscores begins. Yeah, just if you Google me, you'll find me. I've tried to make it really easy to, to find me. I would love to hear from your listeners. If you have an epic dream, an epic journey you want to go on, and I can somehow help you, that's what I'm here for. Solid. All right. So to close out the episode, um, and this is brand new, uh, relatively new. I've done it once before, but I liked it so much. I'm going to keep doing it. So um, I'm a big fan of gratitude. And um, I wrote a book on leadership called The Lovable Leader. And I really feel like since that book has come out, when I've said the term to people, it really resonates. They want to be a lovable leader. They have someone in their, that comes to mind when they hear the term lovable leader. So here's what I like to do at the end of this show is that I say the term lovable leader. And I want you to picture someone in your head from your world who's impacted you, that you've known in some way or another. Maybe you reported to them. Maybe they were a peer of yours. Maybe they were a parent or a friend. This is someone that you knew cared about you, someone that you trusted and someone that who you felt safe with, you know, going after your big dreams. And I want to basically mute my microphone and I want to give you an opportunity to speak directly to that person and thank them for their leadership in your life. And 
That's if you're comfortable with it. If you're like, I can't think of anyone, there's nobody like that in my world, feel free to say that. But I want to give you the opportunity to just speak directly to them, pretend I'm not here. And that's how we close out the episode. All right. Well, this goes out to Aurora Winter, who has believed in me for over a decade, who has clearly seen all the things that I want to be and has always been there to support me. So Aurora, I just want to thank you so much for all of the things that you've created just for me that other people get to benefit from, but I am the primary recipient and benefit beneficiary of that, that your, your just endless enthusiasm and belief in me and encouragement and guidance has been so foundational for me to be an international best-selling author, to be expanding my speaking career and going after what I want and, and just being on this epic journey and joining me on this epic journey. So thank you so much, Aurora. I want to thank my guests for coming on to Shareable to share their experience and their wisdom. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for coming back and giving us the gift of your attention. There are two questions that everyone asks themselves before sharing a piece of content. One, what does sharing this content say about me? And two, will my friends, peers, or colleagues enjoy it? Think about those questions, and if you like the answer, please consider sharing this episode on your social media or send it to someone you think would enjoy it. Remember that together, we can change the world. It starts with what we give our attention to, what we share and spread, and what we collectively work toward. Now, more than ever, we need leaders who care, who work to build trust, and who stand for creating safety. I believe that is the key to creating a kinder, safer, and more equitable world. And if you ask me, that's an idea worth sharing. So between that and the generosity of my amazing guest, I guess the best way to describe this episode would be shareable. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message using the link in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Don't miss out on my other podcast, Becoming Superhuman, which is also available as an email newsletter. Get it all at jgibbard.com. If you're looking for a book to read, may I kindly suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. Available online wherever books are sold. And finally, if you're interested in working with me, whether it's hiring me to speak or train your organization or strategic consulting and coaching, all of that information can be found at jgibbard.com. All links can be found at the bottom of the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and please share this episode with someone who will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.